An atmospheric river has brought havoc all across California, especially Southern California, resulting in massive damage to homes and communities. But because of the absurdities of the capitalist insurance market, a huge number of people are being left to fend for themselves amid this disaster. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content several days a week. Thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you, if you're not yet, to become a patron today. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. And we're very happy to have you. Professor, huge amounts of rain, an atmospheric river in Southern California. California has suffered from drought for a number of years, but now huge flooding, 10 inches of rain in a single day. It's a rare level four of four of excessive rainfall risk. And that risk has gone up since Sunday. And the story is a lot of people are going to have a lot of recovering to do. People are being hurt. Some people have been killed. But massive property damage. And I'm looking at the CNN business page. The vast majority of California flood victims' losses won't be covered by insurance. And I'll read a couple sentences to you from this story. Many victims of the massive storms now battering Southern California are about to be hit with another heartbreak, discovering that their insurance won't cover the damage. The typical homeowner's policy won't cover loss from flood damage. That is covered by the National Flood Insurance Program, a part of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA. But in California, where drought, not flooding, had been the more common problem until recently, Homeowners are about as prepared for flood damage as hurricane-prone Florida residents are for earthquakes. Data from the National Flood Insurance Program shows only 52,400 homes and businesses are covered by flood insurance in the eight Southern California counties declared a disaster area because of this storm. That's less than 1% of 7.7 million households in the affected area with this coverage. Those counties have a combined population, Richard, of more than 22 million people. 
Again, we live in a country that is always characterized as the richest country in the world. And I know you're in New York City. If you go to Wall Street, there's a lot of money there. You can also go to other parts of New York City, almost every borough, in fact, especially the Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, where the characterization of New York being the richest city inside the richest country in the world doesn't correspond at all to the living conditions and lifestyle of the people in those working class areas. But here we are, the richest country in the world, Southern California, another rich part of the country, and only 1% of the people will have their homes covered for insurance, meaning most of the people who are working class people and not from the very rich won't be covered. Anyway, let's talk about that. Yeah, I like the way you began. It is the only honest way to begin that this sort of an event exposes the underside, the underbelly, if you like, of capitalism in a way that few other things do, at least not as starkly. So let's review. 1%, that means 99% of the homes in the area are not covered by the federal insurance program that exists for this purpose. I mean, your mouth falls open. You, you can't you can't understand it. If you're going to insure people, if the idea is to protect human beings against unforeseeable, unexpected calamities, we have lived long enough as a species to know that it can rain where it doesn't normally do so. You can have a drought where you don't normally have one. You can have terrible storm, and on and on. Human beings from the most quote-unquote primitive that we have ever encountered in the deepest jungles of the world have understood the need to take care of one another, to set aside food, clothing, building materials, whatever is necessary, so that the community as a whole can take care of itself in the event that the unexpected and the unforeseen happen. I remember a few years ago when I went to France, and in the south of France there are ruins of civilizations that were there thousands of years ago, and some of them have preserved where they were built. And there you see underground caves and caverns. And when the guide uh, is asked, what's all this about? It's explained very gently and very helpfully. These are the places where the community together, for the benefit of everyone, set aside the materials, the food, the clothing, the olive oil, or whatever it was, to help them through difficult times that were nobody particular's fault. It's nobody's fault if it rains a great deal, as it did in Southern California. And so you prepare for that. You use collectively your power, because what we can do as a group is much more ambitious than what we can do as individuals. 
for all the obvious reasons. And number two, when you rebuild is when you want you to be at your most efficient. You don't want each person to have building materials because then half of us won't need half of what we've accumulated. Whereas if we all get together, we can find ways to economize, be more efficient, use materials, more carefully, share them more obviously. It's so easy, it's so obvious that you stop and you realize that modern capitalism is an immense retreat from progress. It's whatever the opposite. It's regress. It's a failure to understand what societies much less sophisticated than our own understood way better that we do. And then, of course, you have to face the reality. Why does the government provide insurance? Do private companies not do so? No. If you look at the history, you'll see that private companies didn't find it profitable, that some of them did and discovered that it wasn't profitable enough, so they quit. We actually allow private decisions by private profiteers to determine whether we all are insured or not. So, of course, we call on the government to step in because that's the last little bit of collective effort that we can manage. But, you know, we're going to run that insurance business, FEMA, pretty much the way private enterprises run. The people who run FEMA are usually taken from private insurance companies to which they return after their stint as officials of FEMA. So the thing is run in a business-like way. What does that mean? That's a polite way of saying they're going to nickel and dime you to death. You're going to have to struggle just at a time when you're really hurting because of the flood, you're going to have to struggle with some official, perhaps miles away, who is going to argue with you about whether you need this kind of repair or that. Can't you get by with this inferior quality of wood or cement or cinder block or whatever we're talking about as, oh my goodness, you don't even know which is worse, the flood and the shock of the damage to your property, or the countless struggles you're going to have to go through, you on the one hand and the vast government flood bureaucracy on the other, you're wondering already, will you need to get a lawyer and who will pay the bill for the law? Oh my goodness, this is a failure. Managing our collective risks is a failure of capitalism. You see it in our medical system. You see it in many other systems, our food system. But you see it here in the flooding. It is so tragic that we haven't taken the steps much, much cheaper. I say this as an economist. To have set aside the resources, the materials collectively a little from each of us is all that would be necessary to have in place the ability to take care of all of us quickly if and when something happens that none of us can blame on any one of the rest of us, even though we might be tempted to do so. And here's the worst of it. 
across all of this, and starting already today, there are in our sad, sick capitalist system huge numbers of people who are seeing this flood as an opportunity. Already the phone calls are arriving in the afflicted areas of hustlers telling you that for X dollars, you can have your problems quickly attended to rather than waiting God knows how many months for the government to kick in and you'll be able to do this and you'll be, and some of them will be genuine. Most of them won't. And so you'll be ripped off by some scam artist. I mean, it really is too much. It's a system that is broken and is not working. And the minute you get an event like this, it's right out there and your nose is right in the middle of it. I'm looking back at that CNN article that I started with. It says, but in California where drought, not flooding, has been the more common problem until recently, homeowners are about as prepared for flood damage as hurricane-prone Florida residents are for earthquakes. Meaning, of course, people in Florida are ready for floods, but they don't have earthquake insurance. Well, after Hurricane Ian a year and a half ago, Richard, devastated southern Florida, I have family members there, two of them, actually, whose homes were completely destroyed, completely destroyed. After Hurricane Ian, a lot of insurance companies didn't come due, didn't pay up, didn't make people whole people who have been paying very expensive flood insurance in Florida. And since 2017, as hurricanes have gotten worse and damage is intensifying, 11 different insurance companies that did business in Florida just left the state. They just left. They said, nope, not profitable enough, we're leaving. So now people in Florida are paying exorbitant rates to get flood insurance in Florida because the insurance companies might get hit with a big bill if there's another Hurricane Ian, and there will be. Devastating because hurricanes are getting worse because of global warming. But it's not accurate to say, well, Florida's not prepared for earthquakes, but is for floods. The thing that makes Florida unprepared is the capitalist nature of insurance. Like, the insurance companies actually should be abolished. Now, there's another element of this story that I think is extremely important. If you buy a house in Florida or New York or California or anywhere in the United States of America, and you can't pay cash, meaning you take out a mortgage, a 15-year mortgage, a 30-year mortgage, you're paying a bank which holds the property. You're paying the bank in over 30 years with lots of interest, the bank will be paid back from the original amount that they paid for the house, the loan they gave you, the mortgage they gave you, with lots of extra money, tons of extra money from interest. The bank insists, as a matter, and in most states it's lawful, that you must have insurance. You must have homeowner's insurance because you can't leave the banks high and dry in case something happens. So people are required by law, if they are homeowners, to buy insurance. But then the insurance doesn't necessarily cover your losses, or the insurance company can just say at a certain moment, 
hey, you know, this market isn't really that profitable. I'm going to move to a different market. Again, leaving you high and dry or because there's limited supply of insurance and the demand is high, the insurance rates go up, meaning everything is driven not by insurance and the need to protect homeowners, but the bottom line is, of course, capitalist profit, the profit of the 1% or the 0.1% who actually own the lion's share of the insurance companies. That's why from a socialist point of view, the only solution really is to get rid of the insurance companies. I mean, even I'm talking about a transitional interim solution, not a long-term solution. But I want to ask you about that. Abolish the insurance companies, change the way the system works. Again, it's becoming ever more obvious to more and more people that the system actually doesn't work at all. <laughs> well, again, yes, I, I have very little to add to that. I I just see the humor in it. Even if, the, if, if my humor is a little bit uh, of the sort, you know, you laugh to keep from crying. If you have private insurance, keep this in mind. It means that the company needs to, the private insurance company needs to charge you money every year. We call it the premium that you pay to the insurance company. Uh, that will give them enough money that if and when, heaven forbid, you have a claim flood and wrecks your home or fire does or anything else, they must have on reserve, these insurance companies, the amount of money needed to compensate you for your loss. But of course, since they're private capitalist companies, they need to make more money than that. They're not in the business of raising, say, a million dollars in premiums from all of you and then paying out a million dollars in payouts to your claims because that would leave them with no profit from doing so. So the insurance company has to do something extraordinary. It has to raise more money from all the people paying premiums, then it will ever pay out in claims. If you have the government, the collective of our own community, doing that, then there's no need to make a profit. You wouldn't need to. All you'd want to be sure to do is have enough money coming in from everybody who's being insured to be able to cover the claims of those insured persons or businesses. You wouldn't have to raise even more money to line the profit pockets of those that are engaged in this business, which is, by the way, an interesting fact because many larger capitalist corporations figured this out and chose, to this day, chose not to take out an insurance policy on whatever they do, their factory, their office, their parking lot, their fleet of vehicles, whatever it is. And you know why? They do something which is called in the world of capitalism self-insurance. What they do is they set aside money, and they discovered over the years what I just explained, that you can set aside a smaller amount of money each year as a fund to take care of anything that happens that you would have bought an insurance policy for, 
use your fund that you've set aside to take care of those expenses, and it'll cost you less as a company than taking out an insurance policy. And the explanation for it is you don't need to make a profit yourself. You have your main business. That's where you make your profits because that's what you know and that's what you're good at. You know, you're in the lumber business, you're in the software business, you're in the ice cream business, whatever it is. But they don't bother with insurance companies because they know what a ripoff it is. That's left to everybody else to be forced, either because they don't have the money, they can't set it aside, or they're not aware of it, or no one ever took them through the arithmetic. So they're stuck. They make the mistake of not understanding which even capitalists do, what a ripoff this all is. But I don't want to lose the most primitive point of all. Without insurance companies, without profit, without any of it, ancient people that we're all descended from were able to figure out that they could take care of themselves as a village, as a community, as a whole nation, by setting aside for rainy days, for days with too much rain, too little rain, whatever it is, setting aside funds, materials to help each other through hard times. And they noted, that because the poetry is full of it, they noticed that when people help each other through a difficulty, not because they're engaged in a profit-making hustle, but out of a genuine sense of rebuilding a community, it has benefits in the spirit and reality of the community for all the people in it that are not achieved any other way. I'm reminded of having been in New York City, I remember 25 years ago, when there was a blackout, when suddenly the whole electric grid of New York City shut down and the city went dark. Endlessly, for months and years afterwards, we who were in the city at that time told each other of the heroic stories of people being helped in and out of the elevator, people remembering that there was an elderly couple on a higher floor who would need to have some food brought to them until the elevators worked again, etc., etc., and the sense of solidarity and the sense of community that nothing else quite reproduce. What about that? What about seeing these moments as moments when you can rebuild the community and that the very need for the profitability to be entered into would destroy that, would make it a one-on-one between you and the nickel-and-dime bureaucrats at the insurance company or the government agency? Wow. We would be way better off examining this question rather than looking at this situation in which we have a for-profit insurance system and the vast majority of people can't afford it and don't have it and then have to struggle to get the little bit that they... It is so sad that we destroy ourselves in this way. Indeed, uh, Richard, there's an element of a natural disaster where... In one sense, you can see the normal human reaction to help your neighbor, and that's very, as you talked about in New York during that 
blackout, and I was actually there, and I lived in an 18-story apartment building where most of the residents were working-class folks, and many of them, because it was low rent, it became, in a way, a naturally occurring retirement community, because once people were in it, they didn't leave. So a lot of older folks, and they had to come downstairs by elevator, but the elevators weren't working because there was no electricity. People were sort of socialists. People became socialists in the face of the disaster, except one part of the population becomes like vultures and thinks like this is a point of extreme profit-making because the need, the demand is so great for something. I'm thinking about, you know, in one way it reminds me of what the system was in Cuba all these years since the 1959 revolution, and the American government does everything to crush Cuba, but in Cuba you know, where it's a lot of people are hit by hurricanes because it's right in the middle of the Caribbean, including Hurricane Ian and lots of damage. But Cuba has this great deficit because it really can't import and hasn't been able to import what it needs to sustain a civilian economy for decades because of the U.S. blockade. Even European countries that want to do business with Cuba, if they do, the ship that comes into the port in Havana won't be able to come to an American port for six months or a year, meaning they have to choose. Do you want to do business with an island that has 13 million people or the United States of America with 330 million people? So all around the world, people, the capitalists in other places choose to do business with the United States and not with Cuba. But in Cuba, when your house is damaged in a hurricane— Somebody comes with a truck eventually, and the crew comes, and they fix your house. There's no bills. There's no charge. That's The government assumes that responsibility. The problem in Cuba is they can't get the materials to fix the houses. And the reason they can't get it is because the U.S. won't allow them to trade. And the reason it won't allow them to trade is that they are led by a communist party and have a socialist system or an aspiration towards socialism, so they're punished. But if it wasn't for that, can you imagine in a, quote, the richest country in the world where you knew that if your house is damaged, there's going to be a crew sent with materials and fix your house, and there's, you're not going to get billed for it, you're not going to pay for it, you don't have to pay for insurance? That's a system that's actually achievable. And if little poor you know, sanctioned, embargoed, blockaded Cuba can do it. Uh, certainly the United States of America could do it. But in order to accomplish that simple act, that simple, understandable, meaningful, and rational act, you have to have radical revolutionary type transformation. That's the absurdity of the system that we live under here in the richest country in the world. And the only thing I would add is the absurdity gets you know, hyped even beyond that when you remember how fondly in many of the farming states of the United States, the Middle Western, you know, between the two coasts, the parts of the country, uh, even though it extends to the coast too, where if you look at our history, that's how many of our communities became communities. No farmer, if he or she or his or her family has to build a barn can do it. I mean, life is hard in a farming area. You have to spend all your time 
you know, putting your seeds in and fertilizing and weeding and harvesting and then taking care of your animals and your machines. But you need a place, you need a barn, but you haven't got the time and the so they took to, they began to develop something which became very American. And by the way, it's happened in other countries too, that barns were collective activities, that the community would work it out, often by lottery. You'd start off, or maybe by the alphabet, the family whose last name began with the letter A would be the first one. So next Saturday, all the rest of the able-bodied adults and maybe some of the older children would gather at one of the homes. The family whose barn was going to be built would provide the, the older equivalent of pizza and beer or whatever it was, and people would get together and build a barn. And when they were done, they'd celebrate. And two weeks later, they'd all gather in someone else's backyard and build their barn until they had done it for the whole community. Doing it together made it all feasible, whereas doing it individually would have stretched it out for multiple years, etc., etc. It was self-evident that this was the way to go. And you did it, and you understood that the extra little cost for you or your family to spend at the, the, the Joneses' house on Saturday would be repaid by having the Joneses send their family to you when it came time for your barn to go up. I mean, it, socialism has its old antecedents. It has its origins, and it will come back as people realize that departing from those habits was not a, a progressive step. It was the opposite, and that you can recapture what was beautiful about those periods of, of human history by not believing that everything has to be mediated by somebody making a buck off of doing it. it it's a scourge, and it's one we ought to outgrow. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books. The latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolff.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.